2: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McKusick. We have an interesting topic for you today. Talking about the long-term struggle between Baltimore and DC uh, to have multiple teams in what some people say is a single market. Here to discuss that with me is Ken Winkler. Ken, how you doing?
0: Doing well, Ken. How about yourself?
1: No complaints. I hear you're just getting over COVID.
0: It has been rough. So if my brain's a little foggy and I'm uh, reaching for words here, I apologize. But uh, yeah, we're getting over it.
1: All right. Well, glad to hear you're anyway. You're uh, you're on the mend here. Let's talk a little bit about the history, for starters, between D.C. and Baltimore, because you know a lot of people uh, maybe know some of it and not all of it, but uh, D.C. has twice lost the battle for baseball uh, with uh, Baltimore. Uh, the Browns, of course, came here in 54 to become the Orioles. And after the 1960 season, the Senators left to go to Minnesota. A new expansion Senators team was, was put in their place, I think, a year later. I think they might have had one year off, or maybe it was the same year. Don't even really know for sure. But after 1971, uh, the Ted Williams managed senators were moved down to Arlington, Texas to become the Rangers. And a second time, the Orioles had driven out a uh, um, the barbarians at the gate in terms of the D.C. market.
0: Yeah, it was it was the uh the St. Louis Browns in case anybody's the young people listening getting confused going I knew the Browns moved to Baltimore. This is the baseball Browns way back when that uh that came to Baltimore and um yeah, the Orioles were were one of the most successful franchises in Major League Baseball for about 25 years and um what what was uh, the the Senators had some uh kind of motto uh, first in democracy and last in the American League something like that so
1: that's from damn yankees I yeah,
0: something yeah. like that yeah yeah so uh yeah it was um there was no competing with the with the Orioles uh, at that time they had um they were just uh, really really good on the field and a, a lot of enthusiasm around the city
1: yeah uh, amazingly uh, neither team was really draw, drawing all that well, despite the fact that the Orioles for for a long time had the best record in Major League Baseball. In fact, from 54 until 83, I believe, for, for that first 30 years of Orioles history, they had the best record in the Major Leagues. Yeah. Uh, they had 18 straight winning seasons between uh, 1968 and 1985. I, I can tell you, I grew up during that era. It really sucked to have that end. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it before the wild card. And there were a lot of those years when they didn't make the playoffs. When I can remember, you know, the Orioles would win 98 games and finish second to the Yankees and Kansas city would go to the playoffs winning, you know, 86 games or something like Mm
1: -hmm. that. Yep. Definitely. uh, Some hotly contested divisional races in the, in the AL East and the, and the Orioles did not always come out on top of it. They certainly had their uh, uh, their periods in there, but, uh, but getting back to the, to the nationals, um, they were in the American league East briefly from 69 to 71. Uh, the, uh, sorry, the senators at yeah. that time, and they were American league, uh, uh, rivals, I suppose you'd say of, of the Orioles, uh, prior to that, the senators had not won anything since 1933 when they won the world series. Sorry. They won the world series in 33. They played in the world series in 33. Can't remember which it is, but they, I, I, they won in 24 and they, they lost, I believe in 25. Uh, and I, they might have lost again to the Giants in 33. I'd have to go back and look that up, but they, they don't have a long history of making the World Series name, needless to say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and D.C. is a tough sports town. Um, uh, this will be a theme throughout our discussion here, but I used to live down there myself, and, um, you know, there are... there local people there are hardcore people but um dc is also a very transient town there's a lot of people that aren't from there and it's like it's like southern florida i see the same thing down in atlanta a lot you know there's la certainly um you know just people aren't there they're not you know the baltimoreans you 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 know we tend to root for the the name on the front of the jersey um and if it says but when the ravens came they were immediately adopted because they said baltimore it didn't Mm -hmm. what everything else was fine and they It says baltimore on the jersey we're rooting for them you know
1: yeah very very much true the transient nature of that dc market has been something i think that's hurt them uh you know new forms of government coming in every four years or new a new uh uh, group of uh, governors that 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 could be there uh that comes with a a set of lobbyists who may be successful and you have other people moving to the city for various political reasons that that uh, they come they go and uh Baltimore, you know, much more stable town in terms of what you're getting here. There's not uh, not a lot of what I would call unstable industries in Baltimore.
0: Right. But, you know, it's interesting, I think, part of what happened with D.C. is because you have all of that that transient – we used to see this going down to Camden Yards. You know, I think before the Nationals came, so many tickets were in the hands of D.C. lobbying firms, D.C. law firms, and they could take, you know, the senator from Cleveland to go and see the Indians at Camden Yards or, you know, some some client from out in L.A. to go and see the Angels – And, um, you know, that really, that was during the years when the Orioles were not good, but you, you saw the announced attendance, you know, they were, you'd go to the park, they'd announce, oh, 20,000 people Well, that was paid. And you'd sit there and say, well, there's 8,000 people here, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was just all all those tickets were, a lot of them were in the hands of, of DC people just to have a ticket if they needed one on a given night. And that kind of went away when they got the nationals to come in.
1: So you're talking about the early days of Camden Yards is what you're talking about. Or are you talking, you're going back even further than that. With yeah. You, uh, I think, well, uh,
0: yeah, I think it's more at Camden Yards. I don't recall, um, at, at Memorial stadium as many, I mean, there were certainly DC fans who were Orioles fans and would make the track up. But, um, you know, the, back then the audience for sports in general wasn't corporate. There weren't that many luxury boxes there, you know, the, the box seats, uh, at, at, um, but Memorial Stadium were not much better than the rest of the seats. And, you know, it's not, not like now when they have the first class airline barca loungers there around home plate at Yankee stadium and, you know, all the amenities and the clubs and all that thing just wasn't there. Then it was just about going to watch a baseball game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the Orioles, uh, in fact, prior to 1979 when attendance really broke out in Baltimore, they'd never driven, uh, they'd never drawn more than a million two Oh three, in their uh, history. That was in 1966, actually. And they yeah. even during the three years where they won 318 games, they didn't really draw that well. No. They drew barely over a million, I believe each of those three seasons. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, that's kind of embarrassing, frankly, for, for, for what the team was through the seventies, they struggled a lot with attendance and, and it wasn't until 1979 with the uh, yeah. Orioles magic coming along that they really uh took off and they, they drew million six that year, I think a million eight the next, and then they were at two million in nineteen eighty two when right. baseball returned after the strike.
0: And then, you know, it was it was not an accident that when they decided to to locate to Camden Yards, when they were looking at sites, one of the discussion was, oh, this will make it easier for our DC fans to get to the game, you know, translation, um, you know, we're we're gonna really lock down that market because you know, but just traffic wise, getting to where Camden Yards is and then getting to Memorial Stadium. If you were coming from D.C., you got another 15, 20 minutes in the car, you know, to at make least, that trip. Yeah. Yeah, at least. Right. So it definitely was. And, and it's also right on the rail line. So you could, you know, just jump in the mark training and come right up for a you game. Know?
1: A lot of that really made sense in terms of, of the placing thing and certainly the Orioles got paid off for it. They were the highest attended team during the entire decade of the 90s, which is a remarkable feat for the city of Baltimore, frankly, but they had, uh, you know, up to up to 3.7 million in a season. And and they averaged over three million, I believe, for the whole decade, even though they weren't certainly good for the entire decade. Um, But that that was a, a nice win. And I thought based on that, that we would never again see an attempt to come back to the D.C. market from a for a baseball team.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it seems like one of those where it just everybody is insistent that DC has to have a baseball team kind of the same way they're insistent that LA has to have a football team. You know, I I was at a I watched a Ravens game out in Santa Barbara in LA last year and uh went to a sports bar and so it was football Sunday and lots of jerseys and lots I saw tons of Cowboy jerseys and Giants jerseys and Niners jerseys. I saw one jersey between the chargers and the rams in santa barbara that day it was just like and and i feel the same way in in washington you know they were last in the league in in viewing um until they really started to get good nobody was watching the games on tv um when the nationals first came to town for a long time until they began to to see a little bit of success and it's it's very much like that. Now it's kind of a thing to do and a place to go for the people down there. But again, they don't have that that local connection like we might in Baltimore where hey, I'm still going to the Orioles games as painful as it has been in uh recent years.
1: Yeah, they were without baseball for a long time. So if you think about it, it was between seventy-one when they mm-hmm. played the last game in two thousand five. So it was they went thirty-four seasons without yeah. a lot longer than than Baltimore went without football. Yeah. Which we're gonna get we are I promise we are gonna get to that. Yeah. But you know, at the time that they moved the expos to DC, the, the major league baseball was talking about contraction which is really bad for any sport to have to, you know, be thinking about eliminating two of those teams. But the Minnesota Twins and the Washington Nationals were both in line to be contracted out of existence. And, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, baseball just moved their attendance problem to a different place uh, by moving the Nationals. I still greatly resent the fact that, you know, they they gave Washington effectively a third chance for this. Um, And then we have all the Masson tie-ups that went in after that.
0: Yeah the the legal wrangling there has been very interesting I mean there was an agreement where you know the the big win for the Orioles was that they would control 90 percent of the TV market ultimately I think that drops down to like 66 percent or so but the, for both teams which is extraordinary I mean the 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 markets that share two teams the Mets and Yankees are not on the same net nobody else shares a network the Dodgers and and the Angels there's um a very few of the regional networks you know yes network and and Nesson up in uh New England for the Red Sox but but to have both of those uh, teams and all the eyeballs from the Southern Virginia all the way up to to the Phillies and, and, and Pittsburgh market um, on on one network for whichever flavor of baseball you're watching, it was quite a coup, although they they've been trying to weasel out of that deal since the day yeah. they made it.
1: Yeah, and that, that's that's part of the frustration. I mean people didn't understand that this was a permanent concession made in Exchange for a portion of the market down here, I, and the Orioles market, by the way, it was far more extensive earlier in the 1960s before Atlanta got the Braves in particular. The Orioles network stretched way into the south,
0: yes. Um,
1: and, and, you know, Florida didn't have baseball at that time, right? Uh, there's no team south of Baltimore, uh, right. that, that was really anywhere close, so you could, you could. Uh, there was no baseball in Texas at that time. Am I correct here? The the, the Rangers and the Astros both moved there at, uh, later. So um, yeah, you know, well, the Astros they were, were there in the '60s, I think. Right? Yeah, the Astros were there in the in the in the fairly early '60s in '62. Yeah. So, uh, but 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 you know, competing for areas in North Carolina was yeah. was pure Orioles country. Right. When you went down to Florida, it was actually a lot of Yankees fans down there still right. retiring to to to, uh, to there. But the Orioles network. Extraordinarily broadly reaching, and that's been beaten back by team after team. And some of this I understand. Some of this I understand in terms of wanting to take advantage of the population centers in the United States and having teams in Florida makes sense because that's where a lot of the population is. Florida is as big a state as New York was. In the 1972 presidential election, 50 years ago, the electoral votes for New York were 41 and for, for Florida were 17. Wow. Now it's 29 29. Wow. Extraordinary, yes.
0: Well, and 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 the market now has shrunk around um, around Baltimore. You know, and I, I say this ab- about the Ravens all the time as well. That you know, there it is. If you look at a map of the market just geographically, you know. You drive from Baltimore 45 minutes south, you're in the Redskins market. You drive an hour up the road to the north, you're in the Eagles market. You start heading west in a couple hours, you're in Pittsburgh's market, and you start heading east, and you're in the Atlantic Ocean. So Mm -hmm. it is really a little postage stamp, and there is nowhere geographically to go. I mean, we don't even have the whole state of Maryland. We don't have the whole state of Delaware. You know, there's – there's very little that you can carve out and Baltimore is not a, a corporate headquarters kind of city. It's a, it's a branch office town more. There are not all of those, you know, we have our Under Armors and, and, and some, some big corporate citizens, but we don't have the level that is going to, you know, fill up corporate boxes and, and all the, the box seats and expensive, right. you know, to get an 81 game plan that, at seventy dollars a ticket, uh, it's just not happening much in in Baltimore as much as it would in say D.C.
1: Right? I mean, this is in in a lot of ways it's a medical town, mm-hmm. and you know, with Johns Hopkins, University of Maryland, those are not corporate customers for baseball tickets. Right? You know, those the doctors might might want tickets, but uh, right. but anyway, they are uh, they're limited in that way. Right. One move that I think a lot of people probably missed that be listening to this show because it happened almost fifty years ago was the bullets. Moving to DC, and that that they actually moved to Landover, of course, to be part of the right. two franchises in one building situation. I don't didn't really have as much of a problem with that. The the Civic Center, if you've if you've been there since, you know what a crappy facility it is now, and you can you know project back to how <laughs> right. bad it was in the 1960s when it was yeah. unimproved, if you want to call it
0: right. Yeah, and that was uh, similar, I guess, to kind of what the Orioles were doing. It was almost like. DC Baltimore became a single market and it was like dividing up the, the four major sports. I mean, over time, eventually, you know, Baltimore lost football as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and DC had hockey. And so you you only had one team in this area for each of the major sports. And the question is, you know, can there be two, I mean, you know, people talk about, Oh, Baltimore needs an NBA team. And you just chuckle and it's that's it, just yeah. it, it, no way. Um, but can the, can it support, you know, a couple of football teams? It seems to, and can it support a couple of baseball teams? Well, that's a question certainly to be answered.
1: That's uh that's, that's really the one. So let's talk a little bit about the Ravens since you brought it up. Uh, Jack Kent cook, of course, tried to block expansion, the NFL owners in the round of expansion that included the Carolina Panthers and the Jacksonville Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars that round of expansion is about as corrupt as you can imagine in terms of being an open process it's just an absurd and very obvious frankly attempt for the owners to string along a public stadium deal so they could all leverage their own towns for public stadium deals of their of their own for public funding uh to for for their own stadium so baltimore was never going to get a team in in an arrangement like that and you hear about all these various owners flirting with the Baltimore contingent, Al Davis. I mean, I thank God we didn't get, end up getting the Raiders. That's Bidwell, all I can say about that. Glazer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're all a uh, bunch of, bunch of. <laughs>
0: Carpetbaggers were out yes. in force. There was actually a t-shirt once that said it had like Baltimore Buccaneers with Buccaneers crossed out and Baltimore Rams with Rams crossed mm-hmm. out and Baltimore Cardinals with Cardinals. Crossed. Cause all of them were all, you're right. They were all flirting with, uh, with the idea of coming to Baltimore. But, um, the cook was not going to let that happen until he decided he wanted to move out of r f k and build his legacy stadium and needed some land in the state of maryland and um in exchange for that he he uh abstained from um voting in uh moves to Baltimore.
1: I, I'm not sure it would have mattered by that point whether he could have been, you know, whether he would have had the had the votes to to stop yes. the move. But uh but at that point, Maryland offered him a stadium as part of this. And I, I know when the Ravens came you know, one of the first things that was said is this isn't just about one team moving to Maryland. This is about two teams moving to Maryland. Right. I, all I've got to say is that is bull. And yes. it's, it's just complete crap that this yeah. was about the Redskins moving to Maryland. Right. It, it, it might have been a necessary arm twister. It might not have been. Uh, but, they, but they, anyway, the Maryland Stadium Authority did pay for it. They built one of the worst stadiums in the entire NFL for the Redskins to enjoy. So congratulations, guys, on that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Baltimore, of course, got a, got a really fine top end facility at the time as I think it's aged very well and been maintained well.
0: Well, you know, not a lot of people know, Ken, that they actually broke ground on m Bank Stadium before they broke ground on FedEx and FedEx opened the season before. M and T did tells you how quickly that stadium was kind of thrown up and uh, no regard for the infrastructure. I mean, uh, now that the the Raiders have moved out of Oakland Coliseum, I think it's very fair to call FedEx the worst stadium in the NFL.
1: Yeah, that's a, that. Uh, that's a that's another terrible one. Uh, the Chargers had it for a while. They, their old state place was yeah. bad. Their their new soccer stadium was worse. And now they they've moved into SoFi, of course, so they're they're in a in a better position now. But uh, but yeah, you'd really you'd really have to struggle to to work through what what stadium is worse. Arizona Cardinals had an awful facility for a while. Uh, I don't know if you ever went out there, but well, that's, didn't they uh,
0: play in the the Arizona State Stadium when they first yeah. started, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the sun, sun Devil's, Devils place. Yeah.
1: And, and that was a miserable heat-soaked venue. And and you know, it, it just it doesn't make sense as an outdoor stadium out there. Worse than that, the ticket pricing was different if you sat on the side of the field with the sun in your face. Yeah. So you yeah. You, you got lower pricing if you if you're gonna get a little shade towards the end of the game. So uh. yeah.
0: Yeah, they they made up for it though. The new stadium in Arizona is wonderful. It's yeah. Uh, beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's a good yeah. good place. It makes sense to be indoors there. Um, so let's say Recently, we've had some satellite radio markets to the to the Ravens uh, take on. Sorry, added to the Ravens network that used to broadcast uh, places that used to be havens for. I don't want to say Redskins, but uh, Commanders <laughs> games.
0: Yes, yeah, they um, uh, we're now there is a station in in Washington D.C. that is going to be broadcasting uh, Commanders games, and I I don't know that that's I mean it's certainly indicative as as the Commanders go sniffing around in in Northern Virginia and not really Northern Virginia but Southern Northern Virginia they're looking to move uh, they're looking at land down by the Occoquan where it would take even a resident of D.C. a good 40 minutes to get to a game so they're 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 fleeing almost uh the the maryland baltimore market i mean they honestly since since the ravens arrived i don't know what more um washington and and daniel snyder could have done to actively try and hand the entire market over to the ravens they have been uh you know two playoff wins i think since the ravens uh Arrived the Ravens, of course, passed that total in four years. Um, Washington's still trying to get there. Um, all of the, the culture, the lawsuits, the um, the stadium, as we discussed. Um, the, the name change, I think, yeah, how ham handed was that? First, it was an insistence that there was nothing wrong with the name, it was a tradition, it wasn't mm-hmm. racist, we're going to keep it no matter what. Then they decide they're going to change it, but. They decide they don't know what they're going to change it to. So we're just going to go for a year and call ourselves the Washington football team.
1: Was it only one year? Because it seems like it's been about five.
0: Maybe it could. Yeah. I, I lost track. <laughs> I no, really it, don't know either. COVID <laughs> time, it kind of, uh, though, since the <laughs> pandemic, it, it's reckoned differently. But and then to come up with the commanders, uh, I have, I'll just say I have yet to meet, I know several Washington fans. I have yet to meet one that the nicest reaction you get to that name is a shrug and nobody is enthused about that name. I mean, it's just, I, I it's like they've split their entire fan base. There are some people who still call the team by their old name and are going to continue to do so. And just, nobody really seems to be attached to it and there's no success on the field in spite of playing in the worst division in the NFL for years running.
1: I certainly have had opportunities to, to, to make some noise. But, uh, one of the things about playing in a bad division is I think it also often puts you in a position where you're going to be bad in the playoffs. If yeah. you're, if you, you know, if you're, if you're playing a game of, uh, cards, you know, where, where a seven is a good card because it can help you get to the, to, to the playoffs. If you're just ranking the cards, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, you, you tend to not, not discard as many sixes and as you should you yeah, know, right, in, in right. building your team and you end up building a team that's you know, made to build your win your division, but not made to uh, to go much further. Anyway, I, it's yeah. it's been a, an embarrassment, I'm sure, for for Washington fans in terms of how their team has performed. Um, what do you think that a departure from DC from Landover to to go into uh, you know fifty miles into Virginia? Or so to 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 have their team uh, located, if that's what they eventually choose to do, is really going to hurt the Redskins in terms of additional fans.
0: Well, I, additional fans. I don't know how many fans they have at the moment. I mean, I, I I don't. I think so many people are looking for a reason to give up on that team, and and in a lot of cases, you know, we've seen that in in football, in general, sports in general. You know, a lot of people I, I know during the kneeling controversies and things like that. Yeah, I knew a lot of people who kind of said, yeah, well, after that, I'm not going back to football, but they were kind of one foot out the door anyway. You know, mm-hmm. there are, there are those kind of casuals that you're just not going to keep. Um, I, the only thing is geographically, I don't know what you're picking up by moving South. Are you good? There's, it's just not a very heavily populated area in Southwestern Virginia or, you know, I, are you thinking Raleigh Durham is suddenly gonna, you know, I mean, if anything, <laughs> they would, they would be, panthers fans i i don't know i don't know what the logic would be but then again um i've i've given up trying to read dan snyder's mind it's it's a dark place to go
1: (laughs) uh i i one thing i've been wondering you mentioned that, that in terms of geographically just how challenging this area is for baltimore i i'm i don't know if the Ravens are actually pick up a lot of DC fans. There might be Montgomery County people they'd pick up, and and some people in the in the county, certainly the border to the north of DC, uh, possibly to the east of of uh, you know north and east, but not but probably not south. Uh, frankly, of of DC. Um, but one question I would have is, you know, why are the Ravens not making a bigger push to become an international team? And we saw. The international markets were, were were talked about in terms of which teams were going for that, and it's it's teams that that don't need it, frankly. You know the the LA Rams and and the Dolphins, who you know they, they certainly have an, an advantage, certainly in terms of of um, getting Latin fans in Miami. Uh, but I would also say LA, um, I'm not sure what their connection is to China, but they're the only team marketing there for whatever reason.
0: Hmm. Well, I don't know uh, from a revenue standpoint, I don't know how much having, you know, having interest in the NFL overseas helps everybody, but with Mm -hmm. all the revenue sharing and everything, having Raven specific interest, uh, you know, sure you'll sell some more jerseys and and things like that. But, (laughs) you know, I also think, Ken, I believe you were there as well. You know, that London game, Yep. um, you know, we went there and there were so many, we met so many people, so enthusiastic. I mean, people who stay up. You know, until 2 a.m. and on the weekends, and watch the Super Bowl and and things like that, and uh, Packers fans in Germany and uh holland all over the place had come for this game and a lot of them had their teams but then a lot of Mm -hmm. them i think just wanted to see american football and would have fallen in love with a team if if the ravens had decided to do something other than play one of the worst games in their entire franchise history there i think they could have just in that one game really put a big dent in, in the european market
1: yeah, that would have been nice. Obviously, to to not uh, <laughs> lay a complete egg over there and and uh, and play so poorly. But it's true if you if you look at the crowd outside of Wembley, um, you see jerseys of every single team. Not, I mean, there's probably a few more Jacksonville jerseys than anybody else. And Jacksonville was home against the uh, right. against the Ravens, and so they ha- have a and they play an there every year. Yeah, the agreement to play multiple home games there, so they have a uh, you know so, should have some following there. But but you if you play like the license plate game that you sometimes play when you go on vacation, if you play the Jersey of every team game, you can finish that easily in the day yeah. and of, uh, of being at a game like that. So uh, you see just, a, just a little bit of everything there.
0: Yeah. I think what it's like think? Uh, the the premier league is over here. You know, if you go to some of these pubs that'll show premier league games in the morning, you'll see probably, you know, a little more Arsenal, a little more Liverpool, a little more Man U. but there is a representation um, and a lot of people are just, they they pick their their team because they like this player or because they happen to see them once or they watch this great game or they remember a win in the Champions League or, you know, whatever it was that made them follow a particular team. It's usually not because they're connected to the place in any way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Uh, I, you know, uh, one question that kind of is is along the same vein is, does it really matter that much between Baltimore and DC, which team is really playing better? It does seem like there is a lot of, and much more with with football than with baseball, a lot of binding to the team based on your family history and and your your you know length of people time people have been season ticket holders in some cases. But even the people the stay at home fans who, who maybe would be mutable in terms of which which team they would um, they would respond to. Does it matter how how well the the, the teams are playing? I think the answer might be yes, but does it matter more how the franchises are acting and some of the ways in which, you know, obviously the the, the Snyders have been embarrassed and ownership and whatnot. Is that a more important factor?
0: It's certainly a factor. I mean, it's one thing I have felt very uh, blessed with, with the Ravens is, I mean, it, the organization is just pure class and has been from day one, they, they continue to show it and um, it, it doesn't, would i i mean if you flip the ownership group i'd still be a ravens fan i'd just mm-hmm. be really 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 angry all the time Yeah. um you know <laughs> i i wouldn't just suddenly go root for the for for the dc team but um but i think fandom is changing too and i'd be interested in your thoughts on that especially in the nfl um you know so much fandom is now around um, you know, the, the fantasy football, the gambling side of it, mm-hmm. um, the individual players versus, um, you know, rooting for the team and, or, and, and I think allegiances change a lot more. And I, you know, this might just be, you know, an old guy rant, but, um, uh, back in my day, we were loyal yeah. to our teams, but, but, um, you know, I think, I, I definitely think it's a lot more casual because there are other options for entertainment and, and, uh, you know, it's it doesn't you can you got your 90 inch screen at home and, you know, it's not as much of an investment as going to the stadium and all those kinds of things for people, too. I think.
1: Yeah, definitely been a um a change since I was a kid in the 70s and growing up on football at that point we had a limited set of information sources. There wasn't any Football Outsiders or PFF or, or footballreference.com or any of the, the, the normal information avenues that we take for granted now. I and mean, I've probably got 30 of them that I look at some point during a year of, of, of looking at football in terms of sites that I that I visit and whatnot. And that just, it just didn't exist. I mean, NFL today was something you looked forward to for an hour before the game on Sunday instead of right. an annoyance that you right. want to kill your way through. <laughs> right. <on> the, right. <laughs> you're waiting for a game today. And, and you mentioned the gambling and the, and the fantasy football too. Um, that really hadn't come along yet in the 1970s. I guess it came along in maybe the nineties for football maybe maybe the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of fantasy baseball, I think, was around before fantasy football. The early
0: days of the internet, a fantasy uh the the rotisserie leagues became a thing in baseball. At least that's when I Mm -hmm. became aware of it in the in the mid nineties, maybe early nineties, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I think I think that's right. And and so I I my recollection is it's a little later for football than it was for baseball. The the rotisserie was really set up for baseball initially and and it kind of makes sense for that. But uh I, I kind of dislike that, too. I, I I really think that the NFL is taking a big risk in terms of embracing organized gambling in the way they have. Uh, now, the players are, are, are making a lot of money, and they are warned over and over again. But you still have some sort of nimrod who'll go out there and bet $1,500 on a football game and throw his career in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's always been the case. And, you know, people... People get offended. Oh, I can't believe they suspended a guy this much for, mm-hmm. you know. Well, the issue is it's it's back to the Pete Rose thing and, and Shoeless Joe Jackson. It, it's not in the grand scheme of life the worst sin a human can commit. But in the scheme of sports, it certainly is. Because the only thing that separates the NFL from pro wrestling is that the belief that it is a fair and unfixed game and whether you won or lost or bet on your team or didn't when you get into a leverage situation with gamblers um who have vested interest in the outcomes of the game you know that that whole well hey we can forgive this little gambling debt if you just uh you know throw throw a pick in the first quarter of this game you know or something like that Mm -hmm. it's you, you can't allow even the sniff of that to to taint the sport
1: yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. It's very well said. Is is that that uh, uh, baseball was was punitive when it first occurred? Uh, Landis threw a bunch of people out of the game. It wasn't just the eight. There were something like twenty two players who ended up getting thrown out. Uh, not just the eight White Sox, but uh, you know people who fixed the series from the outside, like Hal Chase, uh, it, one of the darkest figures in baseball history, lesser known today, but uh, he really put the gamblers in touch. With uh, Chick Gandel, the first baseman for the White Sox, uh, he was playing first base for the Giants at the time. And, and the only thing he wanted was the ability to bet himself on the series. So, <laughs> oh, that's all I want. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. so uh, uh, you know, you, you had a lot of that going. Ty Cobb actually um, was alleged to have fixed the last game of the season. And I think it was 1923 or something. And they did have a secret meeting, apparently, to let him off the hook because they didn't want – Cobb's uh legacy tarnished by this thing but uh it's it's uh you know it's it was a dark dark period for baseball to have to go through that and football's had several brushes with it with the alex Karras and paul horning stuff in the 60s yes. um and then uh calvin ridley of course by yeah. the way you folks out there who still wanted calvin ridley as a draft pick cautionary tale there cautionary <laughs> tale yeah i know you didn't know that was wrong with him but it is well, what it
0: is and I, I mean, I guess it's changed a little bit just because you're not as vulnerable when you make so much money. You know, Michael Jordan famously gambles a lot of money. Michael Jordan famously has a lot of money. So right. he wants to wager 20 grand on a golf shot. He can do that and not sweat it. It would be like me and you betting a dollar, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, it's maybe less impactful, but I agree with you. It's you're, it's a dance with the devil and you, you don't know how this is going to end up but there is an awful lot of money coming out of it and the the weekly fantasy and all the stuff that is a, advertised on the games and and i mean it's i'm sure it's generating interest it's generating eyeballs but mm-hmm. you know you sit in the stadium next to a ravens fan who suddenly is jumping up and down cheering when juju smith schuster scores a touchdown mm-hmm and they're like, "Oh, well I got him on my fantasy team and it's the play." Oh, I'm like, <laughs> 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 "Sorry, that does not sit well with me at a Ravens game."
1: <laughs> it's uh I agree. I don't like that at all. I I I yeah, it's it's our, I I suspend my um analytic side even. No, that's not, not really true, but for 3 hours on Sunday, I let myself be a fan. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't try and be an analyst to the degree certainly I am after the game. Uh, You know, it's something I really enjoy is just being there and being loud at the, at the games. And uh, you know, I think a lot of people like that. I, I just, I, I can't stand mixed loyalty. People Okay, wait a minute. Do I really want this more? Because this is my fantasy team and this is how I'm betting. And this is my home team here. And I, you know, just take it away.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, I'm fine with, you know, I have been in pools and wagers and whatever, but that's all i've made my decision you know i'll do my analysis before Mm -hmm. the game my rooting is entirely different and divorced from that it just means my analysis was wrong if i lose my bet right that's all i it doesn't mean i'm my rooting doesn't change the outcome of the game so
1: yeah there you go um you know one of the things that has eroded over time the redskins had a vaunted thirty-year wait for season tickets, yes. and I think they were giving people tickets who had been on the list for a long time. The only ways people were losing their tickets was getting their money in late, or forgetting, or you know, even people dying. They they weren't reporting the deaths, and they were holding the tickets yeah. in trust uh, after that, and still selling them for years to to, to come. So that that, that season to- ticket holder fraud held up for quite a long time after. Um, you know, they, they even started to break down as a team. There were tickets available on the street. It's not like that wasn't true, right. But, but their 30-year wait for season tickets was probably creating some artificial demand prior to the season for those seats. That's gone now.
0: Well they when they were at RFK that was the smallest stadium in the NFL and it was packed and uh, this team was very good then you had the mm-hmm. you know the Joe Gibbs years and and I um, mean you know, littered with Hall of Famers and you know they won some Super Bowls and lost some Super Bowls and were relevant every year in big games always against uh, their division which was always a tough division and um you know it was that was actually when I lived down there and I lived a uh, 10 blocks from the stadium and it was quite an electric atmosphere um you know in spite of the cookie cutter uh donut stadium like like Pittsburgh and and Cincinnati and then those others um but you know that was another big mistake it went from the smallest in the NFL to I believe the biggest when it yes. opened um, and there were some, and some of the, uh, season ticket holders were shown their new seats and were like, you have got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I had these great seats in the 50 yard line and now I'm, you know, in the top row of the upper deck and behind a pole, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. it just horrible, um, transition. And a lot of them stopped. Plus the fact, of course, the RFK was really easy to get to. And, like MNT and I know people complain about traffic at M&T. Hey, look, you get 70,000 people into a place, you're going to take some time getting them out. But you have multiple roads you can go in and out of as opposed to, you know, say like Foxborough where basically you've got one yeah. one road that goes all the way from Boston all the way down and it's it's like Route 1 in Laurel basically the whole way and it, it is it's a nightmare, you know, and that's what they did in at FedEx as well.
1: Yeah, I think if if Baltimore fans are not happy with the access and egress to M&T, that's all they need to do is take a few road trips around the NFL <laughs> yeah. because you will quickly understand just how bad it is in other places. Uh, if you've ever been to the Blue Ridge Cutoff uh, in Kansas City, that's another one that just, it's, it's you know, there's one road to get out of there, whether you're going to the football or the baseball stadium there. They're both across the parking lot from each other uh, and and neither of them is an easy place to to, to get to. But the other the other uh, stadiums in in the NFL, they have a lot of similar problems in in terms of one of that. D- DC uh, in Landover, you, you had to take a you had to take a bus. Last time I went there, yeah, we had to take a train to a bus to yeah. get to the stadium.
0: Yeah, the metro. Yeah. You had to take a train from the metro or a bus from the metro. That was yeah. just just uh, not not well planned out. But they were in a hurry, and Cook was he, he knew he was towards the end of his life, and trying to and uh, you know from a business standpoint he did the right thing. It was at the time, the Redskins, because the, they also were one of the few teams that at the time owned their stadium outright. Mm-hmm. So the franchise was one of the most valuable in the NFL. And I believe still is one of the most valuable, which is remarkable when you <laughs> consider all of the other things we've been discussing.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where they are. I haven't, I, I don't remember where the commanders are on that list now, but uh... But I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't be shocked. It's, uh, it's certainly a, still a valuable TV market. They don't really get paid off on that TV market like other sports would.
0: Correct. But but the uh, you know the stadium itself. I mean uh, the, that's why the Cowboys are number one. It's a billion dollar stadium, sure. and and the franchise owns that. All all that the Ravens can offer you is well, we have a lease. You know mm-hmm. well, that's that's different than owning the building.
1: The Maryland Stadium Authority still owns FedEx Field, or do the do the Redskins own it?
0: No, the Redskins own that. I'm almost certain.
1: Did not know that. Okay, could be wrong then. So learn something new every day. Well,
0: disclaimer: not my area of expertise. But all uh, right, we'll
1: look that up after the show. I I think I want to want to finish with one topic here before we go, and that is really: is there a death struggle for a single market here? And and let's talk about both sports here, because obviously we're not talking basketball or hockey, but in baseball. Um, you know, I felt as soon as the Expos moved here that this was going to be a 30-year death struggle for this market, that, that we weren't getting out of 20, 2035 or so without only one team being here. The mass and struggles have, have frankly, um, increased my fears that the Orioles will end up leaving uh, at some point. And obviously, we have Angelo's family members living in Nashville. Not a good uh, stew there we're cooking.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some some cause for concern. Um it's a very interesting market. Um you know the, the so uh, it depends on how you count metropolitan areas, I guess, but basically the t- the top 3 that have um two teams in baseball, um New York, LA, Chicago. Uh, they they bo- they all support both teams not always evenly. Um, but you don't get the sense that any one of those is, is one foot out the door. The next two markets you're talking about Dallas and Houston, which, um, are very separate. They're three and a half hours apart, but they're huge and they are Mm -hmm. within three and a half hours of each other. So, you know, they could certainly support that. And then you get to, to the Baltimore DC area. Um, and it's, it's big. And I think it certainly can, I think it's got the population. I think thanks to DC, it's got the the money to, to support, um, two teams. And because of the network, you know, if you had two competing networks, I would think very differently about it. But, um, right now, you know, the, the, if you are the Angelos family or whoever would happen to buy from the Angelos family, you want two teams there because it's, it's all gravy for you. You're, you're, Ticket sales aside, most of the money is, is coming from TV now, and it, it, you're getting you both the whole pie.
1: I, I I, would have to have somebody take me through the math on that You know, if I, in terms of the business plan, because I would guess that the Orioles were making a lot more money uh, during the 90s when they yes. were alone in the market. So if they could have that back, and that may not be possible. It may not be possible for them to build the excitement for baseball back again. Uh, Although, hey, the current crop of young players to me is very exciting. You know, the the prospect of having you know not only Adley Rutschman, but Stowers and Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez and Kerstad and all the other guys that are on the way right now uh, is is very exciting to me. But but I think it might be tough to to rebuild that even if they had the single market again.
0: Well, Ken, I mean, what do you think was the impact for the when the Ravens came? You know that also took a lot out of i mean i'm a baltimorean and i have so many dollars right and i am committed to going now to to the ravens we go to all the home games we go to usually a couple of away games and that's there's a good amount of time there's a good amount of money um if i didn't have that that would be time and money that i might want to devote to the orioles and i think that happened a lot so it was kind of not only just the, the baseball team in washington but the football team in Baltimore that maybe made it so that those heady attendance days of the early days at Camden Yards are never coming back to that level but mm-hmm. if the team is relevant again the attendance will be decent again
1: mm-hmm. I, I the the time during the year when baseball and f- football really compete is relatively short and when they did have it in 96 and 97 and they and they were uh competing with a playoff team the orioles didn't really suffer that much from that prospect not from the ravens even the even the first year ravens coming to town and being an exciting new thing um and of course when the ravens got good yes i mean i think we see elements of this that say this is more a football town than a baseball town certainly uh but it's been an exciting uh, look back at the colts relationship with the town i mean in a lot of ways it was a lot closer than the orioles was despite the fact the orioles play a lot more games um I, I don't know. I can't I can't crystallize it. But but something tells me that while I'm not sure that the Orioles would ever draw three million again, I think they, they could still draw two and a half again if circumstances were right again with baseball in this town.
0: Well, I think the ownership group for the Orioles, you know, uh, as bad as it is in D.C. for for the with the Snyders, the Angelos. Uh, stewardship has been almost as bad in a lot of ways. The one thing they did do was get the stadium right. And they did that in a huge way. And that, Mm -hmm. I think, I think Major League Baseball would be very reluctant to let go of Camden Yards. Honestly, Um, it's, it's the new, it'll be the Wrigley uh, Fenway that'll just Mm -hmm. be around and and be classic for a long time. But, um, but you know, the, the Angelos family, um, there's a lot of causes. I think when you look at that decline in attendance, um as we've been discussing and and a large part of it comes from as you asked the question earlier well what if you know what is the impact of that kind of ownership on on your attendance well it it does you your interest wanes when you feel like there's no vision when you feel like there's no leadership when you feel like a team is not trying to win or they're not competent or you can't get attached to anybody because you know it's it's a bunch of has-beens and never was just coming through here for a paycheck and you know it, it seems to be turning the corner we we you and I, I think share the same guarded optimism with elias and that he's and that the younger angelosis if they can sort out their internal squabbles um at least have the franchise in a better direction than uh, than peter did but um that you know that that's a big part of it as i said earlier I read the Ravens ownership group, Steve Bashotti, John Harbaugh. I I love hearing them talk. I love hearing their vision. I can Mm -hmm. see it, whether it works or not. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. I don't agree with everything they do, but I'm always, it's a lot easier to support that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and Bishotti's vision in particular, I mean, cause let's leave Harbaugh out of, out of franchise decisions. He's, he's in charge of some of the personnel decisions or, or, you know, has a hand in that along with, with DaCosta and Newsom for, for years, but it's Bishotti's vision that has been remarkable for this team. It's been his uh, management techniques uh very clear delineations of authority within the organization i don't think we've had problems with that like other organizations do about you know just who's in charge of something you know places like oakland with mayock and gruden and whatnot it was a strong coach system but you know it's it also creates real blurred lines about who's responsible for what and i just i I don't like that but uh, there's, there's never been that problem with Pashadi. He's been an absolute textbook in terms of how to manage a franchise and the way he's run the Baltimore Ravens
0: or any other business. I tell you, that's yeah. a guy you you would you would put him in charge of anything because he knows how to how to manage people and get the best
1: out of them. Yeah, absolutely. So okay, so for for baseball uh, in terms of the single market notion of this, you you say that the that the Orioles could do well having a second team there. Uh, if, if they're getting a share of mass in dollars, that's appropriate to, to do that. I'm not sure the Orioles are getting that, the value of that back. But uh, uh, w- where are you in terms of, are, are we headed for one market or not?
0: Um, I, I'm not saying it would shock me. Um, but I, I, th- I think as the, assuming the population stays the same, and that's constantly shifting too, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. you know, Florida didn't would have ever had teams there and now they've got a ton of professional hockey Mm -hmm. teams are in florida for goodness sake Mm -hmm. um you know things things change and in 30 years is a long time but uh, looking at it as i see it right now i don't see any imminent um struggle if the dc franchise is able to continue to be competitive with a reduced cut of the tv revenue they're the only team in Major League Baseball, as far as I know, that is not getting, you know, their fair share, quote unquote, of of TV revenue. And I, I don't know the numbers as as far as how that stacks up against attendance and other revenue streams, but it's big, mm-hmm. you know. And and when you're you're fighting with one hand tied behind your back.
1: Yeah, and I'm happy to have them doing that. By the way, I'll, right. I'll say un, unapologetically. You know, we had this market and had a bunch of it taken away from us. And maybe I feel a little bit Jack Kent Cookish and entitled in, in my opinion about this. But uh, I, I, I just had enough of other cities taking our teams away. And and that's frankly what happened when the when the Nationals moved uh, into the into the house next door. And uh, upsetting, uh, we were supposed to have this neighborhood, and all of a sudden there's there's somebody living next door. I didn't like it at all.
0: Well, the, the Orioles have been the one, the one constant, uh, for you and I through, through our lifetimes. Um, and, uh, that the thought of them not being here is, would be certainly difficult to, to swallow, but, um, you know, things, things, things change and deserving fans sometimes get left out in the cold, um, Mm -hmm. for, for other reasons. And it's they're through no fault of their own, but, uh, Fingers
1: crossed. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, In football, uh, I I honestly don't see a problem with having two teams uh, with this proximity. Part of it is just that you go to one football game a week. Right. Uh, and, and not or one football game actually every two weeks when you think about it because yeah. you know, you're on the road half the time. Right. And that's why it's not that big a, a sacrifice even to travel an hour to go. Right, Whereas it's the the a theatrical... full day anyway.
0: Right, you're going to go, even if you're only traveling 15 minutes. You're probably going down and tailgating, and you're hanging out, and you might stay right. after and have dinner or something like that, or you know. So it's a, or and it's also you know the emotion of the sport. um I go to the Orioles games and I enjoy them immensely, even though the mm-hmm. team's not good. But part of that is because a bad team's still going to win 50 games, and a great team's still going to lose 50 games, and so it's not um live or die every game whereas you know every week at a ravens game a win or a loss is the difference between winning the division or a wild card or uh one seed or a two seed or missing the playoffs or making the playoffs and and i know you much like me you feel it you know you you get to the game and After uh, my wife and I, if it's a a rough loss, the the house is dead silent for a good twenty-four hours. We just we don't speak. uh,
1: Martin and I have work to do after the game, but I tell you what, a football game going to one. Wears me out like yeah, nothing else. It's I mean, it's just exhausting to go to a football game. Go to a baseball game, not at all. No, I mean, you know, you get home and you're ready, yeah, you're ready to play a computer game or do whatever else. But uh, yeah,
0: it's seventy five. You know, I used to live down near Camden Yards, and I would walk over and during the really dark years, and seven fifteen game. You know, seven fifteen, mm-hmm. get a cheap ticket sit and drink a beer on a 72 degree Tuesday against the Mariners and who cares? I mean, what a great evening, you know, but, uh, no, it doesn't work that way in football.
1: No, it's definitely a, uh, definitely a bigger commitment. But anyway, Ken been wonderful to talk this with you. It's just a great topic to go back and forth with, with somebody who's lived the same history that I have, uh, through this and, and, uh, you know, talk to you, tell folks where they can talk football with you.
0: Yeah, I'm on uh, Russell Street Report a lot. I post under hot in here. Um, I am on Twitter. I don't post a lot on Twitter, but I follow uh, yourself and, and many other luminaries that you have uh, on the film study uh, podcast. But uh, my handle there is Nundrum, N-U-N-D-R-U-M. And um happy to chat anytime about football. It's a, a great diversion from all the other stuff going on in the world.
1: All right. Fantastic, Ken. Always a pleasure having you on. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, still got time this off season, hit me up with your great idea. And ideally, it will be something that'd be narrow enough to talk about in 25 or 30 minutes. I do get a lot of uh, what I'll call risk ideas. And this is not risk as in risk analysis, which I love. This is like risk the board game, which would take three days to play if if people know what they're doing against each other. Very long commitment. This is, I, we need topics that are more like a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a quick game of, quick game of rummy or something. Something you'd be <laughs> dealt with in a, in a, in a few minutes and whatnot. But uh, really appreciate having you on, Ken. You're always welcome again. And uh, thanks again for coming on.
0: Thanks, Ken. Really appreciate it.
1: We'll, we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.